Good morning. So listen, uh, we're, we jumped into a Proverbs series last week. We're going to do six weeks in the book of Proverbs. Peter uh, gave us kind of an introduction to that last week, talked a little bit about kind of what Proverbs is all about. In particular, talked about just the nature of what a proverb is, just being a, a short uh, bit of wisdom. And he used words like, he says, uh, wisdom for life, to give us deeper understanding about how life is supposed to work. Um, and then also, uh, what I thought was pretty important was that he also talked about uh, the application, like to put into practice, that gives us some steps to put this wisdom into, into practice. And so that was a great uh, starting spot. And then over these next uh, five weeks now, we're going to look at some different aspects of Proverbs. And I'm just going to be honest with you, what, what happens with, so Peter does obviously the bulk of the preaching here, and then uh, he comes up with a schedule, and, and some of the others of us get our opportunities, you know, periodically to uh, preach, which we're grateful for. We love, love to do it. But there, it's kind of a bit like, okay, he makes the preaching schedule out, and then he gives you your dates, and then when the material comes out, you get, you, it's kind of like Christmas. You, you're going to look at your passage, and you're going to say, hey, what has he got for me? What, what passage did he give me uh, to preach on? And so I wanted to share with you uh, my passage and see what you would have thought. Uh, if when you open it up on Christmas Day. So here it is. You've been waiting. This is your opportunity. Proverbs 22, verse 22. Here it is. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. And do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and exact life for life. And I thought to myself, surely there's a mistake. That is not the passage. You know, he, he gave me, it wasn't Proverbs 22. It was Proverbs something else, because, I mean, if, he's, if there's going to be a difficult passage like preaching on poverty and the poor, he's going to do that. He would not give that to one of the underlings. He would do that himself. So I said, hey, Peter, just double-checking, Proverbs 22, verse 22, is that the right passage? He goes, oh, yeah, that's the right passage. I said, well, thanks a lot. I'm looking forward to it. So we're going to jump into this together, uh, and I'm just going to tell you, here's the two things we're going to do. We're going to do our best to understand God's heart for the poor. And then secondly, we're going to do our best to understand how we, as children of God, as people of God, how can we best express that heart to other people. So we're going to find out, try to understand the heart of God related to poor and poverty. And then how can we best express that. Okay? You ready to go? Good. You don't sound too excited about it. But trust me, you will be when we're all done. So, here's a, so the first question is, what is God's heart for the poor and how can we understand it? Because let's, let's be fair, even with our own selves, if, if you had to reflect, do a little self-reflection and said, hey, what is, what is my heart? And when we talk about that, that metaphor of the heart, we're talking about what's central to me, what is central, most important in my life. That's the heart of the issue. That's the heart of who I am. What is most important? And so when we, that's hard for us to figure out. For, in, for us as individuals. And it's a little bit of a mystery to figure out God's heart. I mean, we're talking about the creator of the universe. Now, thankfully, he has revealed himself to us in his word, in the person of Jesus. So we can get a glimpse of who God is, and we can get a glimpse of his heart on certain issues. But it, there is a bit of a mystery uh, to this. But I think we're going to find out, related to this particular topic, the idea of the poor our response to the poor, the idea of poverty and how we deal with it, that God's heart is pretty, pretty clear. And the first place that, 
that I would turn to and I would recommend that you would turn to would be to the Word of God. So we're going to look at Scripture. And so this is just separate. This is even even part of the sermon this morning. My encouragement to you would be as you're reading God's Word, when you have opportunity to take time to read God's Word, make sure that you're looking at these big issues. Is God saying something about a particular issue or particular thing? God, what is it that you want me to understand as I look at your word? And I think as we think about the idea of poverty and dealing with the poor, uh, God's heart's going to be abundantly clear. So what we're going to do is we're going to start there. I mean, there are dozens, literally dozens throughout the word of God, uh, dozens of passages, dozens of verses that speak to this issue. But since we're in a Proverbs series, I'm going to just keep my reflection in the book of Proverbs. So here we go. Proverbs 21 verse 3 says this, Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 28, 27, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs, 21, Proverbs 22, verse 9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 29, 7, the righteous care about justice for the poor. But the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs 19, verse 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 14, 21, it is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. And then Proverbs 22, 22 and 23, do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and exact life for life. So this is just the beginning, right? I mean, we, you could go through this and find passage after passage, story after story uh, of, of what God says, what God's word says about how we are to deal with the poor. In fact, in the Old Testament, you're going to see, if you spend time in the Old Testament, that the prophets talked about how we should respond to the poor. And not only that, they, they looked forward to a day when the Messiah was going to come and Messiah was going to make all things right. And he was going to address the needs of the poor. So even in the Old Testament, the prophets are pointing towards the day that the Messiah would come. It's, in, it's even written into the law, the Old Testament law, for the Israelites. Just this short passage from Deuteronomy 15 says this. And this is part of the, the law that God gave uh, Moses. He says, if anyone is poor among you, Fellow Israelites, if any of the towns, uh, any of the towns of the land the Lord has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend to whatever lend them whatever they need. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything that you do, your hand uh, that you put your hand to. They will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So in the Old Testament, the law speaks to this, that there should be a response from God's people to those that are poor. In the New Testament, Jesus himself, who was king of the universe, right? He was God, part of the Trinity. Philippians 2 says that Jesus emptied himself, 
and became a servant. Jesus himself, as he walked the earth, was a poor man. And so he understood poverty firsthand. He emptied himself. One of the central parts of Jesus' ministry was to the poor. One of the first recorded sermons of Jesus uh, in the New Testament, he quotes from the Old Testament, from uh, Isaiah 61, and this is what he says. This is Jesus now reading. He's been given the scroll. He's in the synagogue for this Sunday service. He opens the scroll of Isaiah to Isaiah 61, and it says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, sat down, and the Bible says that everyone's eyes were on him as he's getting ready to preach the shortest sermon probably ever preached. He said this, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came to fulfill what Isaiah 61 is talking about, to proclaim freedom, to help the oppressed, to reach out to the poor. This is what Jesus was about, his ministry was about. Now I could go on and on. I think as, we go, as you go through Scripture yourself, you will find time and time again that Scripture speaks to this idea. And I would say this. I think historically the church, and even, and even now, the church has done some incredible work in reaching the poor in our world. Both locally and around the world. The, the, I think the church is the organization that is doing the, the best job of reaching the poor. But I also believe very strongly, especially in our context here in North America, that the church, by and large, has given away this responsibility to other organizations and to the government and said that the government will take care of these that have need. And, and so I think the church needs to, as best we can, take back some of that and take seriously God's command to us and how we're to uh, respond to the poor uh, in our world. So as we think about that this morning, this idea of poverty and, and uh, being poor, I want to approach it from three different uh, perspectives. And the first would be that there's, a, there's an economic poverty. And this is probably what we would think of first when we think about being poor or, or poverty. There's, there's this economic. To be, without, to be without the things that the world sees as valuable, whether that is money or resources, or talent, or a particular skill, or beauty, relationships, family, other resources. To be without those things is to be poor. If you have those things, if you have any of those things, the world will work with you. We'll, 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 we'll figure it out. But if you don't have those things, you get pushed aside. You don't have anything to contribute, so it's difficult for us uh, to work with you. Now, I know that some people would say, well, yeah, there, but there's people that are poor because they've just made terrible choices in their life. And you would be absolutely right about that. And I would just say to you this morning, that's really not who I'm talking about this morning. I'm not talking about people that have, uh, now I believe we have a responsibility uh, to those folks as well, but that's not the kind of poverty that I'm uh, thinking about this morning. Because it would be easy for us to say, well, yeah, they've made some bad choices, but when we think about that, that's a very small percentage of the people in our world that are poor. So we're recognizing that this, there's an economic part of this. I don't have the things that I need. And what this really leads to ultimately 
is a lack of options. If I don't have anything that the world needs, then my options become more and more limited to what I can do and how I can respond to particular things. So there's economic poverty. There's also a social uh, poverty. And this is what the, the scripture in Proverbs 22 I, this morning is, is speaking about, this idea of being exploited or taken advantage of. Because the poor have no resources or they have no things, then they get taken advantage of. Even, even the things they do have gets taken from them. The Bible talks about this. Uh, it gets, there, there's a few times in the Bible you'll hear of a group of people or a person being referred to as a city without walls. So it's this idea that they're basically powerless. The things that they have, people can come in and take it because they have no uh, power to defend uh, what they have. In fact, Proverbs 13, 23 says, An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. Even the things that they have get taken from them because they don't have the power, they don't have the resources to uh, defend or to, to hold to what they have. So there's a social aspect, this, this idea of being exploited uh, by other people, by people that have power and influence. And so we've got economic power, uh, poverty, we've got social poverty. Now there's, as I reflected on this a little bit, I wanted to share with you uh, just kind of a, a story. And I'm going to just say up front, this is a story that could happen. I don't have firsthand knowledge of this, but this is the kind of thing that poverty brings into people's lives. So I want you to imagine with me, if you, if you will, imagine that you were born in Mexico. You were born on the coast of Mexico in a fishing village. And your father was a fisherman, and his father before him was a fisherman, and you're learning uh, to be a, a fisherman. Uh, you're learning the business, and it's provided for your family fairly well. You're not, you're not well off, but you're making ends meet. Uh, you're learning the business. And some years you have good years and some years you have bad years and you're, you're struggling. Recently, uh, one of the cartels that has been running drugs and stuff has branched out away from drugs and into the fishing business. And they've come in and they've taken over the fishing business and basically have said that every, every fish that gets caught belongs to us. And we'll give you whatever, whatever we can or whatever we want to, but the, the fish belong to us. And so now... Your livelihood that you've been counting on uh, is getting sucked away. Um, and so you say, well, well I'm going to go to the authorities and I'm going to ask the, the authorities, the local authorities, to help me out. And you recognize that the cartel owns those people too. And so you've got nowhere to go. You've got no option but to do your best to provide for your family uh, and, and try to make ends meet for your family. Now, I don't know if you feel attention there. Because I know for me, I struggle with this because I, I have very much been shaped by my, my background and where I grew up and, and what my life looks like. So, I mean, for me, when, something like, when I hear a story like that, the first thing I think of is, well, just go find someone to help you. And I've had the luxury, I mean, you can say what you want about our government, like is, is our government corruption free? Of course it's not. But to, to a large degree, they have, they have done a, a good job of taking care of us. And we feel like we can go and get the help we need. But if, imagine if you couldn't. Or everywhere you turned, there was another roadblock. That's what we're talking about as far as, like, not having options. I've grown up with, with options. The, the ability to kind of make my way. But it, to imagine not having 
the ability to make decisions or take care of myself or, or just to feel like you're being oppressed every single place that you turned. And that's the tension that I feel when I start thinking through this issue. We've taken a few groups to, uh, to Thailand over the years. And there was one particular time that we were in a village and in this, you know, very poor uh, village that we were in. But they were taking care of themselves. And there was probably, I think, maybe 13 little huts that made up this village, so 13 or 14 families maybe in this village. And so we, that's where we stayed for the week that we were there. And, and while we were there, we noticed that about half of the huts had a solar panel uh, that, that powered a light bulb that they could have in their hut at night. But the other half of the, of the uh, huts did not have the solar panel. So we just started asking, like, what's the deal? You know, why is it that some huts have it and some huts don't? Well... Uh, the Thai government had provided solar panels to Thai citizens. So if you could prove, if you had documentation that said you were born in Thailand, you could get a solar panel for free. But if you, if you had no documentation that you were a, a Thai citizen, then you couldn't get one. And so a lot of these people were born out in the middle of nowhere in, a, in their village, not in a hospital. They didn't have any documentation that they were born in Thailand, but yet they can't get those resources because they couldn't prove uh, that they belong, that they were a citizen of Thailand. So th these are the kinds of things that we, that you, you see happening and you go, well, there's got to be a, a workaround to this. So there's got to be a way to figure this out. And uh, it gets, it, it gets very complicated. So what I've, what I've, one of the things that I've tried to do when I do uh, have the privilege of taking uh, groups different places like to Mexico or to Costa Rica or to Thailand is one of the first things I try to do is I try to find somebody in the particular area that we're working that's close to the same age as me. Now in Thailand that was pretty difficult because I'm getting older and it's getting hard, you know, a lot of life expectancy in Thailand is, is, is not what it is here. But I would try to find someone close to my age and the reason I would do that is because I, or the re reason that I do that is because I, it gives me a chance to reflect a little bit on their circumstances. I recognize, you know what, this person was born about the same time as I was born. And yet they were born here in Thailand or Costa Rica or wherever it is, and I was born in the United States. And I just reflect on, on the different paths of our life and the different things that we've experienced over the years that we've been alive. Because I think a lot of times we think, well, the answer is they just got to work harder. You know, if they would just work harder and, and work the workarounds, they would take care of their needs. And listen, if I, I don't know if there's any of our Thailand teams that have been here, but listen, I, I've been outworked in Thailand by an elderly lady smoking a cigarette as we're hauling stuff up the hill. She's kicking my rear. So it's not, it's, and I think we know this in our head, it's, it's not just about hard work. Hard work is great, and, and, and it can get us a long way, but to, to think, well, it's, it, it's, I'm only here where I am because of the hard work I've done would be a little short-sighted because we recognize that there are plenty of people working hard right now this day that are just in different circumstances that, than we're in. So there's this tension that we're up against, and, and, and I feel it because I recognize that even today, you know, there are people that are in very desperate circumstances, and I find myself thinking, okay, what is, what is my best response to this? How can, we, how can I, as one of God's kids, how can I make this work, or how can I address this? 
And so that does lead me to a, a third uh, part of the poverty picture. So we've got the economic poverty, we've got the social poverty, and, and then finally we've got a spiritual poverty, right? This idea, Jesus talked about this in Matthew 5 is probably the best example where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so this idea of spiritual poverty is a recognition that I am utterly, utterly unable to make myself right. I am spiritually, spiritually dead and impoverished in the face of God's holiness. Like there, there's nothing that I can do. My best efforts, the Bible says this, your best efforts to be righteous look like filthy rags, look like a dirty diaper. So that's the best I can do. That's, this is the idea of, of spiritual poverty. And so th the reality about that is certainly there are people around the world that are dealing with spiritual poverty, but the, the truth is there's people in this room today that are spiritually impoverished, that are trying to do in their own efforts to make themselves right, to, to, to have God be pleased with them, uh, but it's just... It's just a hamster wheel. We're never going to make any uh, headway there. And so we recognize that, there, that this kind of poverty exists in a lot of different places. And so I know we have this tendency to say, yes, but, you know, what about the poor people that don't want any help? Or what about the people that made those bad decisions and have put themselves in desperate uh, situations? Or didn't Jesus say that you would always have poor people around you? I mean, he said it. So, I mean, wh why even try? Because Jesus knew that there was always going to be poor people around us. Or, or, or what about, yeah, but what about the cost? It's going to cost so much economically. It's going to cost me so much personally. Like, I'm not, just, I'm not ready to make that kind of commitment. I know I have a responsibility, but it's, it's so costly. So there is this tendency that we have to think that way. And so as, I was, as I've been thinking through this, it occurred to me that if I stopped right here, here's probably what you would think. You would think this. This is exactly why I don't want to come to church. Because I know there's going to be a guy, he's going to stand up there and he's going to make me feel guilty because of all the stuff I've got. And I, that's why I don't want to come. I don't, I don't, need, to be, I don't need to be made to, to feel guilty. I've got enough other issues in my life. Or you could be, if I stopped right here, you could be saying, you know what, this problem is so huge, so big, I, there's, there's nothing that I can do. So I, I'm not, why, do, why even try? Why even try? So you'll be grateful to know that I'm not going to stop here because it's not my intention this morning for you to leave feeling guilty. If you leave feeling guilty this morning, then you, you miss something. So I don't know what you've heard so far. I'm glad, if you listen, that's great, but this, this next part, give me your attention. Get, come back, join me in this second half. So that's God's, we, we've seen the problem, we, the reality of the problem of what poverty is. We've got a glimpse of God's heart for it. He's made it clear. Because here's the thing, with those Proverbs that I read, there's no way we can read those Proverbs and say, you know what, it's just a metaphor. He's not really talking about poverty. He's talking about, you know, spiritual poverty or something else. I think it's pretty clear that, that God has a place, a, a very uh, important place in his heart for those that are poor. 
So we want to we we understand the problem. We want to understand God's heart for it. But we need to know how can we best express God's heart to the poor. So I want to give you some things hopefully that you could hold on to this morning that will help you to understand how we can express God's heart for the poor. The first thing I would say is this, that uh, our response, we need to recognize that the problem is not a physical problem. It's not a human problem. Ephesians 6 reminds us, Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 that our struggle, that our battle, that our war is not against flesh and blood. Our, Our problem is not with each other. Our problem is against spiritual forces, principalities and powers in this world. And so as soon as we can grasp, because here's what tends to happen with, with this particular issue, is it becomes very easy to point fingers and just say, you know what, if those people would just understand how we want to go at this problem, everything would be fine. And the, the people on the other side are saying, yeah, but if you just understood what we were trying to do, then everything would be fine. And it, it be, just becomes, and this is exactly, friends, this is exactly what the spiritual forces of this world want us to do. They want, us, it, well, they want it to become a finger-pointing, accusation-based thing so that nothing ever gets done. So I want us to recognize that our, that our struggle, that our battle is not against one another, but it's against spiritual forces in this world. As soon as we recognize that, then that changes the battlefield quite a bit, doesn't it? Then we start praying for spiritual armor. God, give me the kind of wisdom that Proverbs talks about. Help me to know your word so I know how to respond. God, give me strength. Uh, Holy Spirit, go before me and uh, prepare the way for me. Make my, my path straight. Those kinds of things now becomes our prayer rather than pointing fingers at one another. So we've got to recognize that it's a spiritual battle. Uh, and when we do that, I think that becomes very helpful in how we, at least our initial approach to dealing with the problem. And I would also suggest along this line that it might be helpful to get better exposure to what the problem really is. Because I think often we become insulated from this. We don't get really exposed to what the problem looks like. We see it on TV, but we don't ever really face it head on, face to face. And I think that's another important part. So we need to, we need to recognize that this is a spiritual battle. And it's not just people that are broken I would suggest that there are organizations, there are governments, there are systems. Because they are run by people, they're broken as well. So we can come up with all the great programs that we think are going to solve the problem. And I can assure you the program is not going to solve the problem. I think it would be safe to say, and I haven't done a ton of research on this, but I think it would be safe to say that over the decades that we've been really trying to address this poverty problem, the gap has only widened between the rich and the poor. And so what we're doing really isn't working, at least on the physical uh, level. So we've got to recognize that this is a, a spiritual issue. Second thing is we've got to ask God to change our heart. Now, I really want you to zoom in with me on this because I think this is fundamentally where we've got to land. Ask God to change our heart. Our own heart has to be transformed by the gospel. Uh, my good friend, I call him good friend, I never met him, but... Tim Keller is uh, a guy, I loved listening to Tim's preaching. He just recently uh, passed away. He was a pastor back in New York City. Wrote some uh, wonderful books. But one of the phrases that I've tried to adopt from him is the phrase, the gospel, that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. We've got to have our heart transformed by the gospel. 
I've, the gospel, first and foremost, makes me aware of my spiritual poverty and my need for God in my life. And I want to just draw your attention in your Bible, if you can turn away from Proverbs there and find Ephesians chapter 2. Because I feel like Ephesians chapter 2 does a great job of just kind of laying out for us what the gospel looks like in, in our life. And if you haven't experienced this in your own life, I would encourage you just to, to pay close attention here. So in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul is writing this and he, and he says this in verse 1. As for you... Ephesians, you, you people in Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And so he would say that to us. Hey, you, Hanford First Baptist, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This was our state outside of the gospel. We were dead, spiritually dead, spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt. There was nothing that we could do to make ourselves right with God. We were spiritually dead. He goes on to say that because, in, in verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. This is the good news. This is what Jesus did. He made us alive. We were dead in our sins. The good news of the gospel is Jesus makes us alive again and so that our life can be transformed. And then the last part, in, and I should say, he goes on in, in the famous verses of that chapter, verses 8 and 9, says it's by grace you've been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's nothing, there's nothing that we've done to make ourselves right. This is God's work in our life. And then verse 10 wraps the whole thing up. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his God's workmanship. We were created, made new in Christ to do good works. So good works don't save us. Good works don't make us right with God. But good works is our response or is the result of the, the transformation of our heart. And so we were created, we've been created by God to do good works. So that's, in a nutshell, that's what we're talking about. My heart has to be transformed, and the gospel is the only thing uh, that can do that. And so as we look at that, we, we want to recognize that the, the battle is a spiritual one, that this world is broken. We gotta, we've got to ask God to change my heart, and we've got to embrace the gospel, the good news of what Jesus can do for us, change my heart. And then the third thing is we've got, to, we've got to look for ways to meet needs. So we've, we've, we're recognizing the battle is spiritual. My heart's being changed. I'm going to meet needs. Here's the thing. The gospel doesn't just change how you believe or what you believe. It's going to change how you live. When you recognize what, the, what God has done for you and what he wants to do in your life, it's going to change how you live, how you act, how you handle your resources. We talk about this often. It's going to transform how you live day to day. And it should move us out of this us versus them, our tendency to start pointing fingers, to start looking around a little bit differently, that we might be looking around for where God's at work. Dave Fox talks about divine appointments, that every day that God is setting up appointments for us. If we would just say, God, help me to see with your eyes today. As I'm walking out of this building, as I move through the rest of my day, God, would I hear your voice? Would I see like you see? Help me to see people differently. Look for ways that God could use you this next week. Not going to change the world this week, but you might change one particular circumstance. Or there may be somebody's life that you could invest in and make a difference. But we're going to talk about meeting needs as we see them. And I would suggest 
that the best way that we can do this is to take a long-term approach to this. Certainly we can see someone along the side of the road and give them something to eat or we can give them some money. We can do those things and, and, and I'm, that's not always terrible. But I would suggest that one of the best things that we can do is to take a long-term approach and find out if there is somebody who I could invest in on a more regular basis and say, I want to I walk with you through your life. And so sometimes this poverty might not be necessarily financial. It might be maybe there's a mental illness struggle or something else that has got this person hung up. And it's going to be a long-term investment in that person's life. So I, I, as we think about meeting needs, we've got to see with God's eyes and then just take a long-term approach and say, hey, God, how do you want to use me uh, in, in these circumstances? So we're gonna, we recognize that it's a spiritual battle. We're going to ask God to change our heart uh, through the gospel. We're going to meet needs. And then finally, we, get, we have to absolutely have to give hope. It's the one thing that we have as Christians that all these other organizations in the world that are not Christian organizations, they don't have. We've got eternal hope. This is one thing that we can give. And we would be short-sighted if we were meeting needs without connecting it to, the, to somehow, in some way. And it doesn't have to always be a sermon or anything like that. But just connecting it with the hope that we have in Jesus. Make a connection uh, to the hope that we have. And that's why... I'm so grateful that as a church, we, and as you faithfully give, as you give of your resources, we support missionaries that are on the ground doing this. Certainly we can go, we can do things locally here. I'll talk about that in a second. But I'm grateful that we're supporting people like uh, Jeff and Annie Dieselberg in Bangkok, Thailand, that are working with trafficked uh, women that are, have been brought to Thailand to work as uh, sex workers, and they're getting uh, men and women off the street, uh, discipling them, getting them in a church, uh, sharing with them the good news of the gospel, getting them home, in many cases getting them back to their home country, back to their family. And you talk about exploitation, there's incredible things happening that are terrible. But, but Jeff and Annie are working uh, right there in the middle of Bangkok doing that. And we support them as a church. We've got Kayla Pritchard working in Costa Rica in a community that is just kind of a forgotten community called Las Fuentes. Uh, you know, not, not hugely impoverished, but people that are just kind of on the outskirts of San Jose, uh, Costa Rica that just don't get much love. And Students International is there, you know, working with kids, working with uh, ladies, with families. Uh, again, meeting needs, but also making a connection to the hope of the gospel. We're supporting Mike and Becky Mann, also in Thailand, working with coffee farmers uh, that used to grow opium uh, for the drug trade and now in the last uh, 30 or 40 years have been doing coffee uh, to help get them out of that, uh, you know, bad circle. We do Thanksgiving uh, meals at Thanksgiving time here where we got 30 or 40 families that sign up and we take uh, a meal to them. Uh, with a note that just says, hey, we love you, and it's our opportunity to bless you. We just got done with Serve Day uh, a couple weeks ago where we had a lot of different projects happening, but one of the projects was just giving people a gift card when they were shopping, and then a, just a little business card that said, hey, if you would like to know more about uh, or be encouraged and know a little bit more about the details of the gospel, here's a church or churches that you could visit uh, this week. 
there are all sorts of things that we're trying to do as a church uh, to begin to make a connection between meeting needs and the hope of the gospel. We need to be about that. So if I could just wrap up with just this kind of final uh, thought this morning, it would be this. Uh, bottom line is you can't give what you don't have. Now, a lot of us have resources, and, and, and many of you are being very generous with those resources. That's great. And you need to continue to do that. Uh, and I'm grateful, again, that, that we've provided the platforms where a lot of that can happen. But when we think about giving hope, the hope of eternity, you can't give what you don't have. Now, Billy Graham used to use this illustration years ago when he was doing his crusades. And I'm not going to do it as well as he did it, but I just wanted to, I think it, I, to me it helps to illustrate the importance of really internalizing and, and recognizing the truth of the gospel. And he used to say this, that, that there was this family that had a pig. And they were raising this pig and they brought it into their house. And they gave it a bath, cleaned it up, put perfume on it, put a necklace on it, gave it a room in their house. It was part of the family. Uh, they loved that pig. And they took care of it. It ate with, you know, when they ate dinner, it ate with them. It was, uh, they just loved that pig. And then they would let the pig uh, go back outside and it would go right back into the mud and wallow in the mud and get all messed up again. And the reality is it's still a pig, right? You can clean it up on the outside all you want. It's still a pig. And I think that can be our problem sometimes is that we clean up the outside pretty well. We say, well, I'll do, you know, I'll come to church on Sunday morning or I'll do this, that, or the other to try, try to please God, make, make him be pleased with me and help my personal righteousness. But if we're not transformed on the inside by the good news of the gospel, then all we're doing is cleaning up the outside. And it's, it's still going to be a mess. So what we... What, uh, we talk about here is we talk about the ABCs. And the, the first step in really in recognizing the gospel in our life is we've got to admit our own spiritual poverty. We've got to, and that's the A. I've got to admit that before God, I'm broken, uh, I'm bankrupt, I'm never going to be right before God. And it's got to start there. Secondly, we believe, B, that Jesus came, he lived, he taught, he died, he rose again. So that I could be made right before God by believing in Jesus Christ and see that I choose to follow him daily. That's the C, A-B-C. And that's where it starts. That's where that transformation starts. So this morning, if you've never made that decision, uh, David and Rebecca Stanfield are going to be in the back uh, at our prayer table. They would love to talk with you through that. They've got some resources for you. Uh, you need to, more than anything else, you need that hope. You've got to know the hope of the gospel. Now, many of you have already made that decision, but you may be saying to yourself, and I would encourage you to ask the question like, hey, does my life make sense biblically? As I reflect on what the gospel is and should be in my life, has my heart truly been transformed to look like God's? And I would say even if you have received the good news of the gospel, you still can pray, God, change my heart. Help me to see like you see. When I walk out of here today, would you give me your eyes? And so that would be my encouragement. Number one, if you haven't made that decision, you've got to start there. You, you can't give what you don't have. But if you do know the good news of the gospel, then that we need to pray that God would continue to change our heart and give us 
uh, his heart before people. Amen? All right, let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you that, uh, for, the, for the good news of the gospel. God, we're, we're blown away about the complexities of this issue. Um, there are no easy answers, and there's no solving it uh, this side of heaven. But, God, we believe that, you've, that the gospel changes everything, and it starts by changing us. And we believe that it can transform the lives of, of the people around us. So would you give us your heart today? Would you help us to recognize as we walk out of here maybe a new way that we could uh, respond to the needs around us and that we would uh, point people to you, give them the hope that they need in you. And then, God, my prayer too is if, if there's folks that are just spiritually poor that need to know the gospel, that they would make that decision today, that they would... Uh, get themselves right with you first, then they can go move on from there and share the hope that you've given us. So God, bless us this week. Make us your light to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.